How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on episode 107. Episode 107. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. We are live on Facebook right now, live on YouTube, live on Twitch as well. So guys, thank you for joining us. Take just a second. Share us out right now. Let everybody know we are live and we have a great special guest coming on the show today for episode 107. Another special Saturday afternoon broadcast. Uh, and it's uh, we're so grateful, as always, guys, to come to you live from the Drew Estate Cigar Studios. And let's take just a moment to remind you that Drew Estate just announced the return of the Barn Smoker program in 2021. They will host three barn smokers, beginning with the Connecticut Barn Smoker on August 14th and 15th in the beautiful Connecticut River Valley. The Kentucky Barn Smoker will follow in Hopkinsville, Kentucky on October 9th. Finally, the Florida Barn Smoker will take place on November 13th and 14th in Claremont, Florida. As always, barn smoker attendees will enjoy an immersive deep dive into a variety of unique sensory activations that will focus on Drew Estates brands, including Undercrown, Herrera Esteli, Pappy Van Winkle, Hoya de Nicaragua, Florida Sungrown, Tobacco Especial, and Acid, while chilling with Drew Estate Ambassadors, including company founder and president Jonathan Drew, master blendy blender Willie Herrera, and La Grand Fabrica Drew Estate factory spokesman Pedro Gomez. Multiple ticket tier options are available now for each event. Please visit barnsmoker.com for more information. So, Garrett, it has been... Uh, kind of a dreary week. It sort of rained for like six days straight. It was just yeah. muddy and dreary and blue. But fortunately, the last couple days yep. improving. We're getting it's back to we got sunshine ramping back up. Mud is starting to go away. Um, but as we always briefly talk about, a couple of our favorite teams, the Twins got absolutely hammered. Hammered last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Angels beat us. 10, 10 to 3. 10 to 3. 10 to 3. Yeah, that was so if you like baseball, um, as we do, uh, and your team gets beat 10 to 3, you just, I don't know. It you is say what, it's early in the season. You say that's, it's early in the season. That's what you say right or now. you say it's a rebuilding year or <laughs> whatever the, the common, you know, uh, things you say when your team really has just completely, you know, blown apart. They started the season so well, but not so much right yeah. now. Um, and our wonderful Minnesota Wild hanging in there. They're they are they are hovering in that spot of mediocrity, you know, right in the number three spot. But there's some uh, they've had some good wins recently, and we hope for the best for the end of our hockey season. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's been uh, it's been a good season, and football draft is coming up, and then then summer, and then uh, then football season which I'm excited for. Pardon me as I mm. fire up my beautiful cigar here. So guys, as always, you know, on this show here, we we put this show on because we love to hear people's stories. Mm -hmm. We love to hear, and there are so many great stories in the cigar industry and in the cigar culture that we find ourselves in. It is, it is just incredible how many different walks of life and you know stories of of triumphing over adversity and you know things like that and 
we've been so fortunate on this show to be able to bring some great stories to you. And we're continuing to do that with this show today. Um, we have a wonderful special guest to bring on to the show. Uh, and before we bring him on, we want to let you know that as always guys on the show, special guests on how about that cigar live are brought to you by Corona cigar company and Corona cigar.com. The internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, You'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. So, ladies and gentlemen... Without further ado, if you would please, to episode number 107 of How About That Cigar Live, please welcome Jeremiah Mirafal. Hi, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, sir? Matt, Garrett, I'm doing amazing. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show today. It's a true honor and pleasure to be here with you. And of course, with everybody out there uh, who I can see on social media, my love to you all. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, thank you so much. It's uh, it's a beautiful day here in Minnesota. I hope it's a beautiful day where you are uh, coming to us from. Tell all our viewers because, uh, you know, most of our viewers are here in the States. So tell everybody where you are broadcasting from. Well, Belgium is a bit more rainy than it is in the United States, where at least in most most places of the United States. But I'm on the other side of the pond. So kind yeah. of eastern hemisphere, east of that uh, of that ocean that separates us. But uh we find ourselves puffing on the same cigars and enjoying the same thing. So I guess uh, we're not that distance from each other after all. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That's a great point that, you know, even across uh, a time zone difference of, of seven or eight hours uh, and, and many thousands of miles, uh, these cigars really genuinely do bring us together in a way that I don't think anything else can. True story. And uh, Jeremiah, I, I looked for a fedora that uh, that fit. <laughs> I couldn't find a fedora to match you. I did bring out the scarf. Um, I watched uh, your episode with uh, Coop um, a few days ago, and you had mentioned that uh, you like to dress up for your guests as a show of respect, something you learned from your father. And um, the best I could do was, was bring out my, my scarf <laughs> to... Uh, show you some respect so it did the trick thank you very much i, <laughs> I feel honored <laughs> so uh jeremiah we've been fortunate to get to see um you a lot on social media lately and and learn a lot about your your history and your love for the premium cigar world and it's really such a it's it's a it's a world that you know Garrett and I have 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 great admiration and love for the premium cigar world and for all the people who work in the industry and the people who uh, you know call it you know a part of their everyday culture uh, and and part of that for us is uh, we love to get to know people's stories and sort of where they come from and what brought them into this world of premium cigars and your family has such a long long history in 
in premium tobacco. So um, we would like, if, if you could, just to start us out, give us, you know, sort of just that that little Cliff Notes, Cliff Notes version of your your family's history in the world of of premium tobacco all right so we're, we're broadcasting for the next nine hours is that it <laughs> <laughs> well in all reality you know anybody that's looking for the the deep dive history um there's tons you know just google jeremiah's name or go on youtube and you know put jeremiah's name in there you'll see excellent interviews coop has done a lot of great interviews. He's been on a lot of other shows um, to get really the full. So yeah, just a you know the the cliff note version of uh, 140 plus years ago to today. Sure, sure. And so it, it all started out in um, in the uh, 1800s, in the mid 1800s. Um, we're going back, as you say, it's it's close to 140, 150 years now that the uh, the family started uh, manufacturing cigars and uh, growing tobacco in the southern part of Germany, in the Bruxelles region, which is on the, uh, the border of, uh, of Switzerland, near Basel. Um, the next generation left from there went to Indonesia. Those were the days that Indonesia started becoming quite prominent in wrappers. Um, from there, um, back to Germany, the Netherlands, and then uh, my grandfather in the... Uh, um, in the uh, in the 30s, uh, left Germany because of the uh, the regime and the pressure that was being, uh, unfortunately, that was being exerted on the, on a lot of the populations. Uh, back in the pre-war years, uh, fled Europe and arrived in Florida, uh, where he he started out growing tobacco in sun uh, sun grown tobacco in Florida for a short period of time, and then left to Cuba, um, where he. Um, he very quickly started trading tobaccos and exporting tobaccos uh, from Cuba. Um, skip a few years. Uh, my father ended up uh, working in a, in a small factory in Dothan, Alabama. Um, and uh, my grandfather in those days was uh, exporting tobacco from Cameroon. He was, uh, he was purchasing tobacco in the, 19, uh, in the 1960s already uh, from the Cameroon and Central African Republic. In those days, that country, uh, in terms of the agriculture of tobacco, was run by the SETA. It was the French monopoly, and um, it was uh, mainly used for the uh, uh, machine-made uh, and the cigarettes industry uh, in France. So some of you will remember uh, there was the Gauloise, there was the Gitane, which was the, uh, the dark tobacco cigarettes, uh, and then the uh, cigarillos, the Fleur de Savane, which were very prominent. So most of that was uh, for short filler, and for the cigarette industry. And um, in those days, at that moment, my father was working in, in Cuba. Um, that was a, a very interesting part of his particular career uh, where he was one of the, the, the last, if not the last of, of, of the non-Cubans, so to speak, uh, to be trained by, by the old masters in Cuba. Um, at that same time, uh, he started slowly bringing Cameroon to, uh, uh, to, the, Dominica, uh, to the Dominican Republic. And now we fast forward to the late 70s and the early 80s, um, where uh, Cameroon was introduced to um, quite a few of the uh, premium handmade cigar manufacturers in the DR. Um, in those days, there was uh, Guillermo Leon that was using Cameroon. There was uh, uh, the Fuentes that started using Cameroon. Uh, General Cigar started using Cameroon. And then, of course, um, the Newmans, uh, which were also buying uh, at the auctions in Paris, uh, 
uh, Newman Sr., who was a, a prominent buyer of Cameroon and uh, one of the precursors, actually, in, in, in the purchase of Cameroon leaf and uh, using it on premium cigars uh, that were uh, uh, being manufactured on the, uh, the west side of the world. So um, my father was working in Cuba, and at a certain point, uh, it came to an end. He was just impossible for him to, to, to work in Cuba anymore. Uh, so he went back to Europe and um, a few years later decided to uh, to move to Cameroon and, and purchase the uh, the French monopoly. That in itself is a whole story. Uh, the French tried to corner the market um, in terms of the uh, of the wrappers. Uh, it, it was very, very complicated to buy tobacco from them. Um, they were making everybody's life miserable. Um, and the uncertainty uh, in, in being able to acquire tobacco and, and run productions was close to none. Um, in a bad way, it was it was just impossible to do so. And and he went to Cameroons and bought out the the French monopoly to be able to uh, restart or reboot, if you wish, uh, the premium cigar um, tobacco growing operations uh, in in, Ca in in Cameroon and Central Africa by switching uh, by by switching. And and this was an extremely difficult and low process, which is still ongoing today. But switching these crops from being predominantly um, filler. Uh, crops to slowly trying to to create some kind of uh, volume of wrapper. Now, for any of those who are jumping up and down excitedly, we have not yet managed to do that, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're we're still we are still struggling uh, severely to try to uh, to try to create some kind of yield out of that crop. Um, but for those of you who do know Cameroon and, and have experience, I see both of you are actually smoking. I think a number three, if I'm not mistaken. Although I, I'm not sure I see it properly on the video, but it looks like a number three. Garrett's, um, Garrett's smoking a number three. I'm smoking a Presidente. A Presidente. There you go. Yeah. And um, uh, it must be the zoom on the camera. It's it's distorting. <laughs> the <laughs> Garrett looks normal. You look a bit distorted. <laughs> I'm, sitting, I'm sitting forward. So, yeah. Always I always look distorted. It's just That's just my everyday look. <laughs> So, for those of you who um, who do enjoy Cameroon, it is a very unique, uh, a very unique tobacco. It's 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 unlike unlike most, if not unlike all. Whether you like it or you hate it, that's not the discussion. But it's one of the few tobaccos in the world, um, I think, with with maybe two or three others, where you know more or less anybody blindfolded could probably call out a Cameroon wrapper uh, on on anything else. It's very very distinct, um, and. Um, I think that's why we continue what we what we're doing with all the difficulties involved. Uh, it's because this tobacco is is so. Um, this is broadcasted out of the state, so I can't swear, right? But oh, <laughs> oh you say whatever you yeah, want. You can is... swear all day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's different, and uh, so we we. Uh, <laughs> So we, we accept all these struggles and the difficulties and the hardships uh, because I because at the end of the day, when we light it up, I mean, it's it's in our opinion, it's it's very special. Yeah. So we we, uh, we accept it. So yeah. in a nutshell, guys, uh, that's kind of the the very, very fast forward of, of the uh, the last 150 years and five generations of the family of the family growing, uh, growing up, growing and, 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 uh, and rolling operations, although we haven't haven't been rolling cigars in many, many years, but uh, but we have been growing and trading tobacco for, for quite some time now. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I, I like where you're going. Okay. I'll, I'll jump in when. So, so part of the, the history of the family is it, you are part of obviously the history of the family. So I want to know a little bit about your early years when, you know, when you were younger, say, let's say a teenager, 
did you were you always interested in in getting involved in the family business or did you have other things that you thought i know i might want to go into whether it's banking or medicine or anything like that or goat herding or or um underwater basket weaving Mm -hmm. um just any other career fields that you thought maybe i want to go into this or did you always know you wanted to be a part of the family business Matt, b- uh, b- before I learned how to walk, I wanted to be a, a football player or a baseball player. Mm. But then once I set one foot in front of the other, I understood that that was probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. I must have been about a one and a half when I realized that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, joke aside, I, I didn't really have many much pretensions. And, uh, uh, and uh, quite young, there was a, there was a, um, a common understanding in the family that... Uh, that I was going to uh, be working and, and enjoying my life in, in this industry. Um, uh, being the eldest of the, f- of, of, of the family um, and, and being a very kind of old school, traditional family business, for those who knew my grandfather particularly, and my father, but my grandfather very much so, um, it, 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 tradition is, is something in our family which... Um, uh, <laughs> which there's no compromising on whatsoever. Um, and uh, whether, whether we liked it or not, um, there were certain things which, uh, which were going to happen in the household, were going to happen in, in, in the way that we were brought up and the way we're going to live. Um, and, um, and these are things which, which become part of you. Um, these are things which, which maybe are probably part of your DNA, but if they're not, they quickly become part of the education in the deepest way. The tobacco world is one which I grew up in, and there was never a question of of what was going to happen. I was I, I grew up in a household where my father was his best friends were were all tobacco people. I grew up in in a house where t- uh, tobacco per, uh, tobacco buyers of of companies were spending their lives in our living rooms, and um, and our vacations were going to Miami to visit, you know, Carlito Fuente or you know, George Padron or whatever it might be. So this is how we actually grew up and we loved it. It was amazing. It was amazing because we felt like we belonged somewhere. It was our house. It was our, our little kingdom. And for a kid, I think it's important. Um, I think it's important to understand that you're part of a community. Now we're a family that moved around quite a lot. And so our community was the cigar community. Our community was the, the cigar world. You know, we, 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 were, we were in the US and then we came to Belgium and then we went back to the US and then we moved to Belgium and then we moved here. So we, we, moved, a lot, we moved around a lot. And I think the, the, the anchor of it all, the roots of it all was the cigar industry. And so when, when, when we were with the, uh, the, the people from the industry, when we were meeting with consumers, there's a very consistent language that's happening. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world, that language is is um, is common to to the premium cigar lovers, to the lovers of the leaf, or whatever. However, you want to qualify that. And when you're bit by that mosquito, or whatever you want to call it, at an early age, um, there's there's nothing else that really is so sedu- seductive, so attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very 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 special. Now, saying that, um, my dad was also someone who didn't truly believe in, you know, going out there and studying at the university or doing this or doing this. He, he believed that you needed to work in life. And so I think as of, I think it was 
I can't remember if it was 13 or 14 years old, we had no vacations. Those didn't exist anymore. Um, whether it was the three months in the summer or the month and a half, two months in the wintertime, we were sent off to uh, tobacco fields in Connecticut or uh, cigar factories in the Dominican Republic. I mean, I spent, I think I spent more than a year in total, you know, working on the benches, uh, rolling cigars at, at Carlito's factory, hmm. uh, working with Edgar Coleman Sr. In, in, in Connecticut, in the Connecticut Valley, uh, growing, growing shade in Candela. So that was my life. Uh, those were my friends. Those were my mentors. And um, you're asking the wrong guy the wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got a follow-up question. Yeah. So how many languages do you speak? How many? Excuse me? How many languages do you speak? None so correctly. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, your young years were were spent in the states, um, but you know between Europe and you know um, I'm sure travels to Dominican and other. I'm guessing you speak you know at least three languages. That's that correct. I guess. Oh, yes, that's correct. I try to speak a few languages. I do speak English and French, and I get around in Spanish and a few other languages. But uh, but let's say that. Uh, uh, I, I do joke about it, but none of them are at the level which they should be. So shame <laughs> on me. Now, um, let's talk about uh, your father, Richard, for a second. Um, as most people who were close to him called him Rick. Um, what were some of the early memories that you can think of that that you saw that passion in him, that you those characteristics you saw in him that you wanted to carry on um, this legacy? <laughs> Speaking about that is, is, is difficult for me, but I'm going to do my best. I understand. Um, for those who knew my father, um, he's... Uh, he was a, a special human being, I, and 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 we 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 all find this of our parents. It's normal, I, and and you know, of course, I'm going to speak like this of my father. But he was truly a special human being in, in terms of many many different aspects of his personality. On one hand, he was beyond belief passionate about what he was doing, and when I say beyond belief, he was he was one of these purists. Um, almost naive in terms of his, his ventures and the way he, um, he invested himself in, in what he loved. My father was someone who was very proud. And when you put all of that together, you, you get a, a very special soul. I'll give you a, a few examples. When, when dad went to, to Africa, you know, obviously he, he immediately fell in love with, with the place and the people. I should have said the people and the place rather, because it's, it's truly the, the people that make the place, mm -hmm. although it is a very beautiful place. But you have such beautiful souls there and, and such beautiful people. And immediately, you know, my father, He immediately 
wanted to 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 do to to leave something special. He he wanted to do something special, and and he understood that he could. And within months, he was absorbed by the endless possibilities that you know one can bring to to places like this, whether it's building schools or financing them rather. Um, to financing clinics, um, to you know, it, it was it was truly, truly, truly incredible, incredible what he did. Um, but he never said a word. He never said a word to anybody because it was it was his, it was his thing in 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 that naive, in that honest, in that pure way that you know that my father did things. Um, you know, he quickly in the in the in the Central African Republic, he was he was he was named honorary uh, honorary minister of education and honorary minister of 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 health of the country, simply because what he brought certain regions was more than what the government could actually do. Mm-hmm. So that's just one small example of of you know my father's traits and and what he was capable of. In friendship, it was the same. Uh, there were there were no there were low limits to dad's friendships um and, uh, another example that was and this is this is quite a quite an easy one during the boom in the 90s um there was no more tobacco to be found and you know our family was serving several families in terms of tobaccos and at that point um Certain peoples, which I will not name, you know, went to dad and said, listen, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you anything for the tobacco you have. Um, and, um, you know, obviously, it takes a very, very strong character and a very faithful friend to turn around and to tell them to go fuck themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It would have it severely hurt uh, his friends and his, his, his customers. It would have, it would have, Put a bullet in, in 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 one or two of their legs, and um, handicap them at a time where people needed product to be able to grow. Um, and yet um, he was he was unconditional in his friendship and in his loyalty. So these are just a few examples, gentlemen, of what kind of character he had and what kind of traits he has, or had and still has actually. Because I say has, it's a but but you know we 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 as as his children and, and when I say we I mean my brother and I and certainly my little sister who's not in the business but she's very much like that as well. Um, we were brought up in this way where these values are not to be compromised ever for whatever reason at any cost. And so when you speak about dad. And you speak about, you know, his values and how that inspires us. I think it's more than inspiration, gentlemen. I think it's, um, I think it's unconditional rules that were put in place as small children, which you, you deeply first learn and then they're engraved in you. And then you become the flame holder of these traditions. And, you know, now I, I see myself. acting in exactly the same way. Um, 
then I smirk. I look at myself in the mirror and I say, what a horrible businessman am I? But, you know, who gives a fuck? <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm upholding the, the, the values of, of, of what we were taught. And I find myself breathing down the neck of my two boys and my daughter, you know, basically ramming those same values down their, 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 down their throats day and night. Because when I draw my last breath, and hopefully it'll be, it'll be later than sooner, um, I'll be, I think that's, that's, you know, it's not that I think. I know that that's the only thing I'll really care about is, you know, what do you leave behind? You leave behind values. You leave behind um, uh, principles. You leave behind a savoir vivre, a, a way of life. Um, that's what a f your family is all about. That's what you represent. Uh, everything else is just uh, non-existent. Yeah. It's something. It's something which which you can maybe hold for someone else for a moment. You know, people talk about valuable goods or, or money or whatever it might be, but this is just something that goes through your hands for a few moments and then goes, it continues its way. The only thing that we really hold are, are the principles and the values and the education which, which our families leave to us and, and that we are able and willing to give on to the next generation. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, I think that that's what's uh, by far uh, the biggest legacy which which our father left us mm. uh, is this one, and and the one which which I will uh, certainly dedicate and even if necessary sacrifice my life to withhold. Mm. And that I have to say, I'm so glad that Garrett asked the question the way he did, and 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 I'm so grateful for you. Jeremiah, for you just being um, vulnerable and transparent in, in your answer, because the one of the things that we've learned from so many there there seems to the the cigar industry, the cigar culture, seems to attract that kind of mentality that you just described. That where integrity is, it, integrity is eternal, <laughs> and values are eternal. Money and and stature and status and fine clothes and fine cars it's all temporary humility but humility and integrity and values those things are those are the things that define legacy not not stature and status and i i really appreciate your your answer and and uh, I I would say that just the fact that you are as um, vulnerable about it as as you were in your answer demonstrates that that you are um, continuing that legacy of his, mm -hmm. and I think it's something you should be proud of. Absolutely, and to piggyback on that, um, you know, leading up to this interview, I. I obviously did a lot of uh, research on, on you, Jeremiah, but I also did, you know, as deep of dive as I could on on your father and read many articles um, dating back to the 70s. And the 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 passion, the pioneering, the drive, the um, 
unvaluable character that your father had and poured into this industry and into the Marifel family legacy is unprecedented. And it was, it's just such a beautiful story that this interview or any couldn't tell, I can tell that it couldn't tell the entire story of who your father was, what he did. And, um, it's, uh, I know that we are seeing a wonderful legacy continue in, in what you're doing and upholding. And I know that he would be proud. Gentlemen, thank you. It means a lot to me. My, my dad was, um, was very, very discreet and, and, and a very humble person. Mm-hmm. In those days, you didn't have social media. The, the communication was very slow. And um, you had two types of, of characters out there. You had the characters who stayed behind the scenes, and you had the characters who walked on stage. And you had to make a choice in those days because communication didn't warrant a middle ground like it does today where you can be a little bit behind the scenes, a little bit on stage. Either you went on stage or you stayed behind the scenes. And dad was a guy who stayed behind the scenes. He stayed behind the scenes because he wasn't interested in, in the spotlight because he didn't have that type of character. And I don't think it really you know fit who he was, but what's what's so incredible and it's true what you're saying i mean it's sometimes i find it a pity that he wasn't able to it's not that he wasn't able he wasn't willing to go out there and tell his story he had so much to teach people and so much to to share with everybody but uh, what he did behind the scenes and what he did for people was was just mind-boggling you know some of some of the the most interesting successes in the industry you know one way or another dad was part of it um he would just be there he would be a big brother to a lot of people out there he would be a a counselor to a lot of people out there and he would do it in the most altruistic and 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 elegant manner without any without ever ever waiting for anything in return uh, but simply because um it made him it made him happy to see others happy and successful Mm -hmm. and um sometimes i wish that uh that you know there was something to be able to document his uh his um his journey because i think that most everybody in this industry or at least the the old school um would would have a lot to say about him and um and in a way where it would mean a lot uh, to 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 people that we 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 want them to hear this type of message mm-hmm. we want them to be a uh, to, to, to be knowledgeable in, in, in the things that people do behind the scenes. And, and often that's the case. Often, often what happens behind the scenes is just as important or more important than, uh, than what we're seeing uh, on stage and, um, and the lessons to be learned, the values that, that, that needs to be, uh, that can be um, um, cherished and, and held by them. Mm-hmm. So um, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and hopefully one day, you know, we can, we can gather enough, uh, enough documentation to try to leave something behind because there, there isn't, there isn't enough to be honest. Yeah. Yep. Well, one of the things that you mentioned just a moment ago is that he was behind the scenes in the success stories and, um, stories of a lot of, uh, very 
um, what what could even today be considered now legendary cigar brands. And part of that is it comes along with building relationships with people and getting to know people like the Fuentes and the Padrones. And specifically, I want to talk a little bit about the sort of the origins and the progression of the relationship between the Mirafel family and the Fuente family. Tell us a little bit about the origins of the, that relationship between the two families and and how it progressed into where it is today. Because it's a very important relationship, I think, for both families. It is. It is. I mean, it's. I would almost call it one family. Sometimes the uh, yeah the the, the 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 dynamics between the two families are, are are amazing, and 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 they do they do transgress transgress uh, normal normal business uh, for sure. There's no question about it. Uh, I think the um, the story began in the uh, in the 1970s, in the late 1970s and the early 80s, when the Fuentes opened up their factory in the Dominican Republic. And this is the time where where my father met uh, Carlos Senior and Carlito. And very very quickly, um, there's this very special bond that was uh, a very special ties, a bond, a friendship that that was created, um, and and respect and. I mean, I would be happy to speak to you about it, but I think the journey starts, it really started there. Uh, I don't think there's, it's very, very difficult for me, gentlemen, to, to, to explain uh, to explain the magic and to explain the, the, the fairy's dust. Yes, the fairy's <laughs> dust that happened at this, at this particular moment. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that probably um, it has to do with I think respect is, is probably uh, the base of the relationship. Um, you know, my father just spent countless years in, in, in Cuba. Um, you know, obviously the Fuentes have an enormous heritage in Cuba as well. Uh, my father was a young tobacco man. You know, he just, he just finished training for many years in Cuba. He was in Cameroon growing tobacco or trading tobacco. And Carlito was a bit younger than he was. Carlos Sr. was obviously uh, a little well older than he was, so I think my dad was kind of a in that middle generation between between the two, um, although a little closer uh, closer to Carlito than he was age wise to uh, uh, to Don Carlos, and they they just hit it off in a way that I I can't I can't even start to explain. Um, first of all, I wasn't there, um, and second of all. Um, I think it's it's one of these very special moments where things just happen and and the journey just continues. Now, at, at, in these days, um, the Fuentes were were just starting out in the Dominican Republic. I mean, they'd lost everything, you know, for for the X number of time, and they were kind of starting from scratch. They were, you know, kind of all right. Let's give it our last shot in the Dominican Republic. Here, you know, they'd been to. Nicaragua to Honduras to here and there and and just disaster after disaster after disaster, and so, you know, they were in. I I, I would just, I would suppose, and I'm just I'm just supposing here, but they must have been in a in a state of mind where, you know, the world was in front of them and and they they needed to catch this one by the horns and 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 dominate it and move forward, uh, which they they very successfully managed to do and and they did, and Dad was in a very similar position because Dad was in a position where. You know, he was, he had just really started his career as well. 
you know, he'd finished training in Cuba. He was trading Cuban tobacco. He went to Africa. He was starting this whole movement around Cameroon tobacco. And I think the dynamics were quite similar in terms of, all right, let's go and build this stuff up. And, uh, you know, I know dad helped them a lot with tobacco. And then after that, a few years later, in those days, we were, we were, we were mainly to Cuban to, uh, tobacco traders. We were trading tobacco from Cuba. We were also uh, trading, we were the distributors for Habanos in certain parts of Europe. We launched the, the, the Cuban Cohiba in the, in the early 80s. We we're doing most of the Cuban brands. So we were very kind of, you know, Cuba focused. You know, and that's, that was our job. That was our life. Up to there, that's what the Marifal family did for a generation and a half, um, was dealing with Cuban tobacco and Cuban cigars. So all this kind of new environment that was growing, this whole... These all these new ventures that were coming up, where these Cuban families were, um, were were at the base of recreating uh, what they had been forced to leave behind. Let's say in the in the past generations or the past years, this was all very new, and so a lot of things happened. Tobacco was going to the Dominican from Cameroon, but also um, my father started importing. Dominican cigars into Europe. Now, this might sound absolutely normal today to you gentlemen and to everybody listening, but I can guarantee you that in the 1980s, if you brought in a Dominican cigar into Europe and tried to sell it, hmm. nobody ha would have any idea what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, you can imagine this old world where you know people would wear the same hat as their great-grandfather and the same tie as their great-grandfather and the same pocket handkerchief as their great-grandfather and they would almost sound like their great-grandfather and i apologize for that <laughs> <laughs> but you need to imagine what happened when all of a sudden the marifles brought non-Cuban cigars onto the, into, into Europe. This guy's was not acceptable. Mm. This was like, you know, putting a uh, California wine in a three Michelin star restaurant in the <laughs> 1960s in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to happen. Yeah. And that, that was a visionary. I mean, if 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 I were to if I were to qualify him of something very specific, it, it would be a visionary simply because he understood, and I don't know how he understood this. Actually, I do, and I'll explain in a second, but it, it, it's it's insane how he saw this. He understood that the future of the premium cigar industry was going to be the Dominican Republic. Yeah, Nicaragua, but no longer Cuba in the way that it was. And we're talking in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, when Cuba dominated, you know, the vast majority, if not the majority of the super premium cigar industry outside of the United States, particularly in Europe, the Middle East, the Far yeah. East, and so on and so forth. So he, he, he took on this war. He took on the war um, and 
he did it. I mean, he went out there and uh, and started building up the distribution networks, starting building up the relationships, and with the notoriety and the the uh, the trust that people had in him. I mean, remember that, you know, being the uh, being one of the main players for Habanos or uh, Cuba Tobacco, and having you know one of the oldest histories in the cigar industry uh, to anybody's standards, I believe. Um, he had the uh, the knowledge and he had the uh, the credibility to go out and start building these these various markets uh, for for the uh, for the non-Cuban cigars, and I I truly wish that uh, he was he would be here today because he would have had a smirk on his face. Unfortunately, <laughs> he he passed away a little bit too early, where you know he started to see the change, um, but uh, but still it was still a bit young. Today, he would have a smile on his face because um, he won. Yeah. He, he was right. Yeah. Today, Arturo Fuente and, and some, some of the other brands um, are considered by most, by some of the most hardcore Cuban cigar smokers anywhere in the world. To be the finest, to be one of the finest uh, premium cigars on the planet, yeah. And this is uh, this is insane, gentlemen. I mean, I lived through the entire transition. I was I was part of it. I was a soldier in the army, and um, it's it's mind-boggling to see uh, what happened. And it's not surprising. I mean, there's 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 two or three very very simple, very technical reasons why it was going to happen, why it could have happened. Yeah. And so, you know, dad's knowledge and his foresight was able to put two into two together and understand how this was going to happen and why it was going to happen. But, um, but it's, it's unbelievable. And I remember an interview he had in, in the early nineties in the Amateur de Cigar, which in those days was, was the biggest magazine outside of, outside of the cigar aficionado, uh, well, or at least on the international markets in France and the French speaking part, the very, very prominent magazine, very respected where there was an interview of him where he said that uh, that it was going to be the beginning of the end for the uh, super premium, uh, for Cuba as a super premium uh, uh, dominance within the industry. Yeah. Uh, and and he was absolutely right. It's 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 mind boggling. And honestly, I'm sure he's uh, he's up there smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the region itself uh, in, in the, the, the basin region of Central Africa, you know, the Cameroon area, because I've been fortunate to to get to go to a few tobacco growing regions in Nicaragua and Dominican Republic. But I, I one of the things I love about them is they're all a little bit different. So what is it, you know, what is it about the this region in in Central Africa that is so that brings such unique and wonderful characteristics to the to the the leaf that's grown there? There's many reasons. I mean, and I'll, I'll walk. I'll walk you through a few of them. The first is that when you're in the the, the east, the furthest eastern tip of Cameroon and the western tip of the Central African Republic, you're in a region which is called the Kadi, even the Mamberi Kadi, a bit further east. And this region is the second densest rainforest in the world after the Amazon. So you can just imagine how rich the soils are and 
you know, what the soil has to bring to the tobaccos and to the flavor. That's yeah. number one. Number two is a very, very special uh, eco-climate, which is just around this area. Now, if you go a little bit further out, up, down, left, right, it changes. But there's a very, very particular ecosystem right there, uh, which, listen, I'm no scientist, and honestly, I don't know, but it works. And um, it just enables a very, very, very special uh, tobacco to flourish from it. Now, you guys know tobacco and you know that, you know, you can basically grow tobacco more or less anywhere, anywhere. Mm. You can throw it in your garden, it'll grow. Yeah. But very few places in the world does it come out magic. Mm. And between the rainforest, between the weather, and then there's a few things which I usually don't speak about too much, but this is why I call it the Marifal Cameroon. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I truly believe that uh, that we have something very special going. Now you have to you have to realize our family's been there from you know since 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 my father was there in the late 60s. My grandfather was there in the 60s, and we've developing we we've been developing our own seeds as well and our own little kind of house recipe. And mm-hmm. um, the best way to, uh, to illustrate this is that you know there has been quite a few people that have come into Cameroon and grown tobacco in Cameroon uh, over the last 30, 40, 50 years. But for some reason, it's never been the same. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying worse, but it's never been the same. Now, I'm not speaking about people who grow, they call it, whatever they want to call it, Cameroon, whatever it is, in 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 Wisconsin and in, in, in Ecuador and in... in uh, Alabama. Alabama. I'm not talking about. Uh, I'm not talking about the the Rolex is made in China. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about Switzerland. Okay, now That's in Switzerland, perfect. you have Rolexes which are made, and you have swatches which are made, and you have whatever which are made, and you have lots of different Swiss watches. All right, Marifal is one of those Cameroons. Now. Why is it different? Why do certain people think it's better? Well, because we don't do it the same way. You don't make a Rolex like you make a Swatch. Yeah. All right. We, we have very different seeds. We have very different ways of growing. We have their very different surveillance. We, there's a million and one things. All right. There's a reason why you go to Nicaragua. Not all farms are equal. You go to Cuba. Not farms are equal. You go to France. You know, there's one, one, one chateau which a bottle costs $5,000 and the guy down the street that it costs 50 cents. Yeah. Right. So, and here we're talking about Swiss watches. Again, I'm not talking about the Chinese knockoffs. Okay. So there's a blend between several things. The land that we pick, which is very, very, very specific. Okay. As a, as a, as a little example, people who have grown Cameroon in the past, they choose lands which are near the main roads, which are near the cities, because it fits, it makes it a lot cheaper to mm. be able to, okay. The problem is the soils are, they're not the same. They're, they don't have that rich rainfall. Okay, that's number one. Uh, number two, so we, we choose these soils, we work the soils in a certain way, we have our own processes, we have our own seeds, we have our, okay? And then we have our own fermentation processes, which is another story. Mm-hmm. Now, gentlemen, you need to realize something. 
we may be very proud of the taste of our tobacco, but in terms of a business model, it sucks. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because we are rejecting 95% of our crop. 95% of our crop is going to waste. Now, there's no company in the world that would do something so crazy. But because we truly believe that this is such a special tasting leaf and truly believe that it's so insanely, well, we think it's tasty, it's good, it's special, we're willing to go through that and to kind of take that risk and survive year after year and generation after generation. And thank God, thank God, there's certain manufacturers out there that are willing to uncompromise without, with no uncompromisingly, un without any compromise, are willing to pay these insane amounts of money mm -hmm. for this product um, to put it on their cigars because they believe that it's better than anything else out there. And if it wasn't for these manufacturers in the same way that if it wasn't for the greatest chefs in the world to go and you know buy these raw materials which make no sense whatsoever in terms of the cost of growing but the people who want the best they recognize it they taste it they you know and they're willing to pay for it and yeah. and uh, the reason it's so expensive is not because I want to buy myself another hat or suit because as you probably noticed I've been wearing the same hat and suit for the last 15 years <laughs> So it's not going towards my hats and suits, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. um, but um, it is going towards a, a product which is yielding um, uh, very, 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 very little. And actually, you could compare it to a Patek Philippe out of Switzerland to a watch. You can, you know, you can, put, you can compare it to any of the finest products in the world. When you're at that level of production, when you're at that level of perfection, you know, that's what happens. You know, the, yeah. the, the, you know, the wastage is, is, is incredible because you're only going to retain, mm -hmm. you know, that tiny, tiny kind of piece of the, of the production yeah. uh, and everything else is just going to get disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. So this is what separates the, the Marifol tobacco, the Marifol Cameroon from uh, everybody else. Um, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, um, we don't we don't compromise. We don't play games. Uh, we we do it like my dad did it, like my grandfather did it, and then like you know our our forefathers before that did it in in, in yeah. the industry. We just don't cut any corners, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's the answer to your question. As for the Chinese knockoffs, well, that's another discussion. <laughs> well, and we will get into that discussion. But one of the one of the specifics that um that I want to I th I think I know the answer, but uh, I always want to you know learn as much as i can so as far as the specific seed varietal goes are we talking about a indonesian sumatra seed that's the seed varietal that's being grown on your farms uh specifically and is it sun grown or shade grown so number one 100 it's originally an indonesian sumatra seed which is grown in cameroon and over time be became the marifal cameroon to be even more specific, we call it the, uh, the the black. We have several seeds that we have. One of them is is the the the, the we call it the black gold mm -hmm. uh, from the rainforest. Very specific type of seed because of the color, because of the you know which we've uh, naturally selected over the last oh my goodness the last seventy years now. Um, so this is very specific to the uh, to the uh, to the Marifal uh, Marifal Cameroon. Yes. Uh, to answer your second question. All Cameroon is sun-grown. Okay. 
you brought something up that is is important that I oftentimes forget about. I when I tell people about the different types of tobaccos, the the you know different origins, the um, and all the different characteristics, I liken it to rice. Um, I've said it on the show several times. Um, you know, there's basmati rice grown only in the foothills of the Himalayas. There's jasmine rice grown in Southeast Asia. There's wild rice that only grows in the upper Midwest. And you can take those rices and you can grow them other places, but they won't be the same rice. That's true for tobacco for the most part. But the part that you brought up in how you process the tobacco and the, the care and the things that are... Um, that the farmers and those who are tending the farms do that makes a difference in tobacco. Unlike anything else. Can you tell us a little bit without giving away, obviously trade secrets, something that you do differently than maybe other tobacco farms don't do. Everything. <laughs> I love that answer. That's yes. perfect. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. Everything. Um, most, most tobacco farmers today have evolved and do things right, really right. They produce yield, they produce beautiful tobacco, um, and, and they've, they've gone a long way. Uh, we haven't done that. We, we still grow tobacco like in the 1940s mm. and, um, our yield is terrible, but we haven't figured out a way to truly use technology so far without touching the taste um, and when I say technology, it doesn't have to be only technology. I mean, like modernizing it. So we, we truly do things like, like it was done even a hundred or 200 years ago. We, we just do it that old fashioned traditional way. Um, nothing has changed. So I, I I'm sorry guys, but we, we, nobody, we don't do it like anybody else. Or I should answer, nobody is crazy enough to want to do it like us. <laughs> I love That's it. Now, now coming, coming back to, the, uh, to this rice, um, I agree, but there's, there's, one, there's one extra difference which, you know, ticks me off, is that there is no Cameroon seed. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can have the basmati. That's fine. It's a basmati rice. It's a basmati seed. And you'll take it somewhere else. And it's like, okay, it's basmati seed grown in whatever. But there is no Cameroon, you know, unless somebody came and stole my tobacco or my seeds, and then they should call it Marifal Ecuador or something. But, yeah. but if, <laughs> if they're growing, if they're growing Indonesian seed in Indianapolis, then call it Indonesian, in the, you know. <laughs> why 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 want to ride off everybody's success all the time you know do your own thing for god's sake you know yeah well one of the things that i'm curious about is um so our our mutual friend and and brother of the leaf uh jose blanco is uh is uh, an an absolute he's absolutely in love with mirafel cameroon and and has a has has what I would cl classify as a true love affair with with Mirafel Cameroon. So why is it that he loves your Cameroon so much? 
All right. And he's he's actually here to say hello. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, Jose, my brother, how are you? Do, do you guys hear me? Yes, yes, sir. Okay, I need to answer this because it's a great question. <laughs> I'm in love. Actually, I, I know the answer, and I'm going to answer it for you afterwards, no, 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 so be no. careful. I love, I love the rapper. What I don't love is the owner of the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, I, I got to say something. First of all, Jeremiah, great to see you. Nice to I, see you. I'm friend. having a, a great trip here. We talk about you very bad every night. God lead to me, so that's no big deal. You know, that's that's going to happen. But it, it's been great. Uh, I, I got to say this. I mean, I've known Jeremiah and Josh since they were kids. He's still a kid. But, uh, and I met Rick and, of course, his grandfather, a, a gentleman, a man that the jokes I'm doing now, I would never dare do it to Heller or Don Carlos or Fernando or, or people like that. But I fell in love with Cameroon for 35 years ago because I've always smoked uh, Cameroon and I have the utmost respect for the Marifel family and, of course, for Jeremiah, Josh, and the whole operation. But people like Jeremiah would describe it. And to be honest, he described it in kind of a nice way. But you gotta, you're talking about a place where there's no electricity, mm -hmm. where there's no security, where there's no water. Everything that's there, the hospital, the schools, everything has been put in by by, by, by the Merrifield family, and Jeremiah has continued to that. So I'd be, I feel very proud working with him and Carlito and all the Fuente family, but more than anything else, because I believe in that. When Carlito and I talked about, you know, trying to work together, I mean, it was like a dream come true to be, you know, able to work with the owners of my favorite rapper. And it, it, it's unique. It's something that during 20 years that I've been doing seminars, people ask me, Mr. Blanco, Senor Blanco, whatever, oh man, what's the best rapper in the world? And I would always say, Cameroon, grown by the Marifels in Cameroon, Africa. And like Jeremiah, he, he's trying to be, he's, he's not really today in full gear, but I can tell you, you cannot grow a seed in Ecuador, in Honduras, in Dominic, in Cuba, wherever and call it Cameroon, if it's not grown in Cameroon. I have defended that before working with Fuente. I will defend it working with Fuente, and I'm still gonna be long gone, because I told Carlito I'm only gonna wait till 80. I still, at 80 years old, will be defending Cameroon. Not only because I think it's the greatest rapper in the world, because I think it belongs to the country. Mm. It's something that, that, that belongs to the great country of Cameroon where people are suffering. And, and to be honest, if it wasn't for the Merrifield family, this mm. would have a huge, huge, big problem. So, my brother, I'll see you next week, Jeremiah, Matt, and Garrett. Keep up the great work. I love you all. The one that I kind of like a little bit is, is uh, really Jeremiah, but, but, but I like you two knuckleheads best. <laughs> great show, guys. Jeremiah. Jose, Thanks. you better behave yourself in the Dominican or I'm not letting you back into Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. I got my man posted at the at the customs there. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna search you full from the head to the toe. <laughs> Guys, great seeing you, Matt. Great seeing you, guy Jeremiah. Enjoy. Bye bye. Talk to you soon, you, brother. Thank you, brother. So there you go. I mean, Jose is uh, absolutely you know a great ambassador of uh, of Cameroon. Always love Cameroon.
Um, now that he's off the show, I'll tell you the truth because he's always full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, jo joke aside, joke aside, with, with, all, with all due respect. Um, Jose worked, started his career in the, in the premium cigar industry with the, uh, the Leon family. Yeah. And Guillermo's father and uncle, Don Fernando and Eduardo Leon, were one of the first companies in the world to use Cameroon on their premium cigars. And it was also their favorite wrapper. And our families were very tied, particularly at those times with my grandfather, where they shared that common passion for that particular leaf. And Jose was brought up by a very good school. Jose had a an ex, uh, you know he had mentors in that company that uh, that truly understood those the, the leaves and truly understood the uh, the value of very precious uh, wrapper and I'm I'm grateful to uh, uh, to Guillermo's uh, father and and to his uncle and to uh, to the Leon family for for having been one of the uh, the precursors. Uh, of Cameroon and uh, Jose is definitely uh, out of that mold hmm. and he happens to have good taste as well once in a while. <laughs> so one of the things that we've we've kind of um we've we've discussed it a little bit but I I want us to open up about it a little more cuz I I don't want us to dance around it and because if you go into a cigar shop or if you look on uh, a cigar website for a review or you read cigar aficionado you you will see a lot of cigars out there with the word cameroon on there and as you said there is no such thing as a cameroon seed tobacco it doesn't exist so why why is it that it that companies are able to use that word cameroon when it ends up just being a uh, uh, a Sumatra seed that's grown in Ecuador or Honduras. How can they? How is it that they're able to use the the word Cameroon when it's not actually grown in Central Africa? And um, also to talk to us a little bit, uh, leading you know into that, because you guys have, are, are taking steps to certify and stamp real Mirafel Cameroon. Uh, and so, so I, I'm just curious about the process as far as, uh, is there some sort of governing body that allows companies to use the term Cameroon when it's not actually Cameroon tobacco or not actually grown in, in Cameroon or, or central Africa? Listen, guys, it's, um, it's a very, very good question, which I myself truly don't understand i think i think the answer to that is they they do it because they can they can get away with doing it because mm. there's 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 no legal framework in place and even more importantly because the consumers um are not revolting against it or at least they're not voicing anything um where they show the discontent of it I believe that as long as 
people are not taking advantage of, advantage of, that's okay. So what I mean by that is if the consumers out there know and they're aware and they're okay with that, I, as Marifel, don't care that much that somebody would use the name Cameroon if he feels that it's an exotic name. What really bothers me is if it's being used to influence falsely uh, people's purchases or if it's being used um, in a way where there's, there's, there's an intention. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That would really, really, really bother me. Yeah. And, and I, I truly don't know to what extent, you know, the guy walking into the shop, he sees a cigar, it says Cameroon on it. He maybe doesn't know the cigar, you know, is, does he believe that there's a Cameroon wrapper on there? And is he buying it because he likes Cameroon? And it's not so much the fact that these guys are using Cameroon, which bothers me. It's the fact that the guy who's going to smoke it is going to be like, huh, yeah, this is maybe not what I had in mind, or maybe this is not, you know, kind of what I remembered. You know, this is, this is not what I thought. That bothers me. And actually, we were having the same thing a few years back as well. There used to be some people growing in Cameroon, like I said, near the roads and, you know, in these places where the tobacco just didn't really taste good. It was bitter, wasn't fermented properly, the growing, the way, the, 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 the soils they chose. And, and people were like, ah, oh, Jeremiah, I tasted this cigar and, you know, uh, it wasn't great. The, the wrapper, you know, the burn, the taste. And I'm like, where did you buy it? What, what cigar was it on? They told me, and I was like, oh, no, you know, because I know the farm it came from. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Taste this, taste this. It's just giving giving this thing a bad name. Yeah. Uh, and, and so instead of kind of waging war on, you know, we got to come out with a, a denomin, uh, you know, an appellation contrôlée of Cameroon. <laughs> Forget it. What's the point? Let's just say, okay, I'm going to just say, listen, I do Marifal Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's coming out of my family. It's coming out of my farms. It's coming out of my, you know, kind of my heart, my gut. I know what's coming out of it. I know what it tastes like. You know, you guys want Marifal Cameroon. We'll make sure that you, uh, you can figure out how to buy Marifal Cameroon, uh, everything else. Fine. Great. You know, no problem, but just don't use it as a benchmark because it's not the same product. And again, I'll use watches as a, as a, as a, as a comparison. You want a Swiss watch? Fine. Um, but then, you know, don't go to, don't go to Geneva or Basel to buy a fake Rolex from China. It's not going to be a good idea. And then when you're in Switzerland, then there's going to be a million and one different, maybe different brands you want to buy from. And that's okay. That's fine. You know, you might have your preferences. So I think kind of our strategy now is to say, okay, we, we sell Marifold Cameroon. We grow Marifold Cameroon. We, we sell Marifold Cameroon and let's try to at least get around that notion there. Um, so that we so that we 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 help consumers not get misled so to speak yeah. in terms of in terms of the uh, what they're smoking what they're buying do um does the Mirafell family have um tobacco farms in in any other countries no okay okay i was always curious about that so only in only in central africa yes central africa cameroon yeah and could you walk us through the difference between your typical Sumatra um, tobacco that, that comes from Indonesia versus what you get in Cameroon? 
Sure, sure, absolutely. So first of all, appearance-wise, it has some uh, similarities. Uh, the, the Sumatra is also a very, very, very thin leaf. The vein structure is very similar. Um, and uh, you could get typically certain colors, certain, certain casts of colors, which are uh, a little bit similar. The similarities stop there. Um, the rest is completely different. You have a, another kind of hue variation of colors, which are more typical to the, to the Cameroon, uh, Central African regions. Mm -hmm. um, the taste is, there is just, just mm -hmm. it's, it's like cherries and tomatoes. I mean, it's just, there's no similarity with the taste whatsoever. Uh, Cameroon is, is, uh, is very, typically very sweet, chocolatey, earthy, uh, coffee-like, you know, very, very, you know, it's Cameroon. Uh, sorry, Marifal Cameroon. And then you have, <laughs> and then you have uh, the Indonesia. It usually has more of a, a bitter twing to it, a bit of a metallic taste sometimes to it, uh, which was considered, you know, one of the best wrappers in the world, uh, especially by the European manufacturers uh, back in the uh, late 1800s and, and early 1900s for sure. Uh, even actually later than that, then they continued. Uh, into the into the 2000s until Cameroon became a, unfortunately the political problems uh, basically put an end to uh, to a lot of the production in, in Sumatra. Yeah. Um. So you you talked a little bit about it, but um, I want to hear a little bit more because one of the things that we love hearing from different cigar people about is the communities that they that they work in, whether it's a factory in Esteli, Nicaragua, or a factory in Santiago, Dominican Republic, or uh, a farm, uh, a tobacco farm somewhere, that one of the most common threads we hear around the cigar industry is giving back to the communities where where you're working. And um, you you spoke a little bit about it already, but but tell us a little bit about you know, uh, whether it's building schools or, or helping with medical, uh, medical needs and things like that in, in that area in Africa that where the needs are so high and, you know, there's so much, there's so much unrest in that area and unfortunately so much poverty in that area. So tell us a little bit about what your family has done over the years and is still doing to serve the communities, uh, in that area. Mm -hmm. So this is something which we've always done organically. The day we moved in and bought the uh, the centers, so we own all of the major centers in the east of Cameroon, um, in the growing areas, and and these centers are are very big. Uh, they're not only uh, the, the, the 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 warehouses, if you wish, where there's the uh, the all the pr the processes of fermentation and sorting, but you also have massive uh, amounts of residential housing and and schools which are on the lands, and then kind of going out from there. So the hubs which we own and operate in the eastern and west, in the eastern part of Cameroon and western part of Central Africa are very, very specific uh, to holding an important part of the population uh, in, in, this, uh, in this very wild environment. Uh, like Jose uh, very rightly said earlier on, uh, where you know, there, there are no roads as you know them, very little electricity, certainly not reaching out outside of the, 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 the main major or main villages, um, no running water, and so on and so forth. So when, uh, when we came in, when my father bought these operations in the early 90s, uh, immediately um, 
organically and directly, there was work that was being done for the local population that was either working or not working uh, with the company or not with the company. Because what you must understand is that um, it's it's not only the people that are that are working with us that are benefiting from it, because it's not only the people working with us that live in these communities. And what we try to do is we try to immediately um, empower, enrich, in in uh, influence positively all these communities that were as much as we could around of the centers and and and, and the various different communities around uh, in in improving as as much as we humanly could improving and very carefully because this is this is another discussion uh, where you need to be very very careful you 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 can't just go out and do anything you can you can destroy an entire ecosystem and be very dis disrespectful if you think that you can come into an area and uh, and and you believe what's best for people without truly understanding you know the the, the ecosystem but what what we could do was was simple things um, and those simple things were financing existing structures to take to take true roots so there were for example for many 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 decades there were uh, missionaries that had clinics there uh, people that came for you know generation after generation where they would do vaccines and but they had no resources they were they had no vaccines they had no uh, no um, uh, scalpels where they used to do the they used to make the cuts to do the uh, the tests for the paludism for the malaria there are a million and one things there was missing all these resources so what we were able to do there is for example is, is to finance the whole process to finance the importation of, of the medications that are needed uh, to, to, to basically to finance what is working and what has worked and what is proven to work this is very very important um, in, in another in another direction is education and this is even more dangerous uh, because uh, the last thing you want to do is come in and try to uh, to bring in a Western education out of nowhere into a into a, in an environment where you can you can hurt the environment. Mm. Uh, so what we decided to do, uh, what my father decided to do, was to finance the local education system to bring up the quality, to bring up the 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 the, the assets which the local education had uh, and have. And so um, it becomes more efficient, more children can go to school slowly, slow, you, the children that were coming to school, you, they had no shoes, then all of a sudden they have shoes, they have the books, because all of a sudden the, the books are financed for all the kids and uh, there's chalk for the, for the blackboards, very little things, but uh, these little things make, make an enormous difference. And when you add everything up, then you realize that it's, it's far from being little. And then also, uh, and this, a lot of people have done for many, many years, including in the Dominican and Nicaragua, uh, the this, this sports environment, for, both for the children and the adults, unbelievably important. Um, these are these are communities which which love basketball. They're very, very, very proud. Football, even more, um, you know, the, the Cameroonese football team is one of the best in the world. The, the Cameroonese Lions, which, which even went to the World Cup several times. And so once you start, uh, and, and when I say football, gentlemen, I'm talking about soccer so please right. excuse me no, <laughs> we we call it football in the rest of the world yes <laughs> so so uh, uh so all of these things uh, which which are extremely important now when when my father passed away i created a foundation which was called the which is called the ricky marifal international association as you rightly said at the beginning of the show my father was known by his friends as as ricky and so this foundation was set up in honor of my father um and which which did 
unbelievable things. Um, we uh, we hooked up with the uh, royal Belgian the, the Belgian royal family and the foundation of the royal family, the universities, and um, and we had it, it was it was very very special and we um, we we had all kinds of projects including. Uh, uh, drilling massive, uh, what do you call them, when you go down and fetch water and providing fresh water to all mm. of these communities. Yeah. So we've we've managed to do uh, our, our little share in this world, and we will definitely continue to do so. Um, but uh, like I said earlier in the show, uh, very quietly and uh, yeah. the, Marif the Marifal way. Yeah. Well, you obviously have a home in Europe. Uh, I'd like to know, how much time do you spend in Cameroon? Very little. Um, I um, I was traveling to Cameroon uh, until the uh, uh, the mid two thousands, when unfortunately um, I fell very sick. Um, I caught a disease in Cameroon, and spent two years um, on a bed, uh, and almost died. Mm. Unfortunately, nobody was understanding what happened. Um, there were certain type of parasites which were unidentifiable, which were eating the inside of my body. And at that moment, uh, my brother Joshua uh, took over the uh, the trips to Cameroon, and he spent, let's say, the next half of of, of the career uh, going back and forth and uh, traveling in Cameroon. Uh, first, while I was recovering, and then uh, after that, when I was running the operations uh, in Europe, uh, United States, and traveling the the, the entire world, uh, taking care more of the uh, the sales and the, the strategic part of the business, whilst uh, Joshua was taking care of the the growing operations in Cameroon. So um, it's it's not a place that I go to that often, uh, but it's uh, it's certainly a place where uh, uh, you're once you're stuck stung by the bug, uh, even though even though you might leave your life there, you still end up going back one, one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I is it I think I think I so. think it's time. It is time. It is time for this week's numero de los muertos. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, Numero de los Muertos is brought to us by our friends at Smoke Inn. So take just a couple seconds and watch this spot about the Connoisseurs Club. Numero de los Muertos brought to us by Smoke Inn. Garrett, what do you have for us this week? All right. This week's number is 49 people on average die every year in Cameroon from this. Oh, so you're getting regional on us. I am. Okay. All right. So, as always, viewers, if you guys have some guesses, leave them in the comments. Jeremiah, we're going to guess along and See if we can uh, come up with this. So in every year, on average, 
in Cameroon, 49 people die from this. Sai says Ebola. It is not Ebola. Not Ebola. Okay. Not malaria. Not malaria. Is it a is it a uh is it a disease? It is not. Not disease. Okay. No, but there you're gonna have a lot more a lot more people than that. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah, not a disease, so not uh, TB or anything like that. Um, let's see here. Is this... Um, it's not starvation. Is it related to um, any kind of transportation? It is not. Okay, so n no vehicles or anything like that. Nope. Uh, stupidity... Stupidity. David David says stupidity. Well, I th I think there's it's thousands funny. of people of every year that die all across the world from that. It's a, it's a disease in the Western world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's uh, not crocodile. Uh, not crocodile. Um, it's not. Yeah, not Jose snakes. says snakes. Is it snakes? It's a good guess. Not snakes. It was on the list. Snakes and hippos was on the list as well. Oh, that's not it though. But it's not hippos. I would have guessed. I would have guessed the hippos because that sounds not so far off the hippos. Actually, it's actually really close to the yeah. hippo. Hippos is actually more. Is, yeah. is it some type of animal attack? It is not animal related. Oh, it's not animal related. Okay. Um, I hope it's not nicotine overdose because you're going to give me a bad publicity. No, no. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, it's not lions, uh, obviously not animals. Uh, it's not heat. Sai uh, says drowning, which is actually very, very close. Okay. All right. So it's close. Um, and that's probably the cause of death um, for, for most of this number. But it's like a specific kind of activity. I'm looking for something more specific okay oh i think i think i know what is it should i guess yeah. yes absolutely they have these pirogues like it's like a canoe is it from that um not not because there's a lot of deaths on that especially with the hippos flipping them over and then they drown that's why I'm correct so and and that does play a part in it but i'm looking for actually a specific occupation occupation oh is it fishing? No. Ah. Not fishing. Um, and I'll even get more. Um, so it is on the Wari River. Okay. Um, <laughs> David says water polo. I don't think it's water polo. I don't think <laughs> they play a lot of water polo in Cameroon. Um, sexual though there's a lot more <laughs> Laurent, there's a lot more people that die of sex than 40 i can tell you whatever it is all right so uh dan sawali uh it is mining but what is it mining <clears throat> oh this okay so mining we're on the right track mm -hmm. now here we go in the water gold mining it is not gold ah oh it's not gold mm -mm. is it diamonds there's diamond and gold huh? Not diamonds, not gold. What else do they mine there? 
I've never heard of this before. Oh, is is it a metal or a gem? Mm -mm. Ne neither? Mm -mm. What? Is it uranium? Mm -mm. That's amazing, Matt, because there there actually um there actually is uranium in that region. Yeah. Oh, is there? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh John says sulfur. Not sulfur. Uh, so it's not a metal and it's not a gem. Correct. What else do you mine besides metal and gems? Uh, yeah. So with the, uh, there is a, a, the, apparently there's a lot of construction going on and the region is starting to um, uh, really grow. And so uh, Dara is close in uh, the guess of heavy earth. Heavy earth. What is? I'm. S sand. It sand is movement. Sand. It is sand. Oh my gosh. Um, so this area of the river, this sand, has made the best concrete. Um, and uh, there are these guys that go out in the the boats that Jeremiah described. And they go down with these buckets and they dive. And some of them can be down in there for five, eight, ten minutes. Just free diving? Just free diving. Wow. With these buckets of sand that they'll they'll bring up. And um, it's uh, currently, it's the most dangerous job in, in Cameroon. Wow. Is uh, sand diving where they, uh, they pull so up. So for, for, for all of you sand divers... Come to our company. We'll hire you to take care of tobacco. You won't have to risk your lives. <laughs> we need extra hands. Come over to Marifal. Wow. Yeah. I, I never knew that. Um, yeah. I had would, no idea that was a thing. You would mine for sand, but. So it's a very specific. Yeah. And, and Dara says gypsum, uh, which is, I mean, that's a, that's an ingredient, uh, an ingredient okay. in, in concrete as well. And, um, I didn't know you you could mine for a very specific kind of sand. Yeah. Nor that you would have to dive to the bottom of a river for it. Right. You know, with a with just a bucket. Although you know, without um, without the technology like modern mining technology, they they do it old school over there. Yeah, and these guys. So I, I looked and look up, um, you know, Cameroon sand diving, and you'll see these guys. And most of these guys should be like on the um, uh, bodybuilding uh, oh, yeah. competitions. Yeah. They are just beefcakes. Well, yeah, they kind of have to be if you're going to dive down for eight minutes with no respirator. Yeah. In, uh, oh my gosh, in murky water. That's crazy. So that was kind of a fun little. That research. was that was a good one. That was very, that was a deep dive. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see what I did there. Uh, that's that's a, that's a good one. Next time somebody asks me where I wear why I wear a suit and tie, I'm going to tell them because I don't sand dive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So that was this week's Numero, Numero de los Muertos. All right, Jeremiah, we've got a couple non-cigar related questions for you. If uh -oh. you, if you could hear the thoughts of one living person, for 10 minutes, who would it be and why? 
I mean, that's an easy one. I would, I would love to hear my father's thoughts right now, simply because um, there's so many things he left off prematurely and suddenly. Mm. And, um, you know, now 18 years later, just to, to hear what he would think of all of this, whether it's our industry, whether it's our company, whether it's his grandchildren, uh, whatever it may be, um, that, that would be priceless for me. Absolutely. If you were about to get into a fight, <laughs> what would your soundtrack music be? Oh, Rocky for sure. I am the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman. You could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie, or you could score a goal in a soccer game as the goalie. Uh, guys, I don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the guy who smokes as a cigar watching these games. <laughs> I've never played sports in my life, so you're going to have to give me a pass on that one because... <laughs> That's fair. No, that's totally fair. That's that's fine. So, all right. So, one extra one is, uh, if you could bring back any fashion trend from the past, what would it be? Like they would say in the states, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, really? <laughs> Listen, um, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I would, I would want one day where the entire world would dress like they would in the 1950s or the 30s or the, you know, the 20s or whatever it might be. Um, just one day, that would, that would put a smile right down the back of my head, I can tell you. Yeah. So yeah. Let's, uh, let's go to our notable smokable for the week. And as always, notable smokables is brought to us by our friends at Ace Prime Cigars. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. So, Jeremiah, each week we name a cigar that we've smoked recently that was interesting to us. It could be a cigar that's been on the market for a very long time that we revisited for the first time in a while, or it could be something that's brand new that we are just trying for the first time. Um, Jeremiah, is there something you smoked recently that whether it's old or new that, that really caught your attention and you enjoyed a lot? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I typically smoke Cameroon mm -hmm. guilty, guilty, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, and, 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 you know, typically our, our, our tobaccos, but I smoked, uh, recently a cigar, which is one of my all time favorites. Uh, one, which I think is, is. Yeah, it's balanced. It's beautiful. The tastes are just insane. And that was a um, Pedro 1964 Exclusivo. I mm. absolutely adore that cigar. Yes, yes, 100% yes. Uh, love that cigar. Uh, Garrett, what was yours this week? Well, that's really interesting because my notable smokable is a Pedro 1926. Okay. <clears throat> uh, that I that I smoked the other day, and it was it was an older one. And good night, nurse. Um, <laughs> you know what that means in Europe? Good night, nurse. Huh? <laughs> uh, I guess I don't. 
No, that's okay. That's all right. It's <laughs> it's it's something it's something you do to the nurse, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That I love it. That makes it so much better. So, uh, so my. <laughs> oh God. My wait, hold, hold on a second. Will, will you say that again, please? <laughs> Good night, nurse. Boom. <laughs> there, there, are, there are scores of Europeans laughing right now because you, because we have no idea what that what that really means. Well, it's like the uh, in the in the UK <laughs> they have the dollar store. We have the dollar store here in the states, but in the UK they have it's called the it's called Pound Town, which means something totally different totally different here, here in, in the, the states. states. Yeah different meaning altogether totally so my uh my notable <laughs> smokable this week uh is the sin compromiso from steve saka mm. and dunbarton tobacco and trust uh c- cigar that's been on the market for a few years now that i just uh revisited uh last week and was reminded when i smoked it how much i enjoyed them when they first came out it's a mm-hmm. uh, very nice cigar uh from steve saka so that is this week's Notable smokables brought to us by Ace Prime. Uh, improving lives through fine cigars. Visit aceprime.com to learn more. Uh, so just to give our viewers and our listeners an idea of some cool stuff we have coming up soon. Uh, this coming Monday, just two days from now, uh, the evening of Monday the 19th, we are going to talk to Skip Martin and Mike Rosales from Roma Craft Tobacco. And we're going to hear all about the upcoming Weasel Fest in uh, in Texas that uh, that is uh, just getting off the ground and announced. And tickets will be available soon. So we're going to talk to them about that. Uh, and on April 26th, we have Cynthia Fuente, the first lady of cigars. So excited to talk to her. Um, and on May 17th, we're going to talk to uh, Indiana Ortez about her wonderful new position at Mombacho Cigars. Uh, that uh, that company's making some big moves right now, so we're excited to talk to her. Uh, so, Jeremiah, give all our viewers and listeners uh, an idea of where they can keep up with uh, all the latest news and goings on with uh, Mirafel Tobacco. That's an interesting one because we don't really advertise much of anything. Right. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to keep the latest news, I would definitely recommend you log on to How About That Cigar and, <laughs> and ask your questions because I don't have a platform where I, I regularly update anything, um, but uh, you're more than welcome to, uh, to, um, to join the Instagram account. It's the, uh, the I think it's Marifel or Jeremiah, uh, Uber Tradition, at Uber Tradition, U-B-E-R Tradition, Uber Tradition on uh, Instagram. And then you can follow my Facebook if you wish, which is Jeremiah Marifel. And uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions. And then we cannot forget um, the Meet the Professor show, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful show that we love to watch yep. and laugh along with you guys. You guys have such a wonderful time on that show. And uh, you guys just had that wonderful one-year anniversary with a 26-hour marathon, which was which had to be extremely grueling, but rewarding at the same time. Yep. So uh, congratulations to you guys. Yeah, I ended up in ICU after that. I can tell you that that was terrible. 
Although, although it was a, an enormous success and we were very happy and proud to be able to, to have all of, uh, all these people enjoying the show for so long. And, uh, we, we certainly have a blast, uh, uh, presenting the show. There's no question. I mean, I, I understand the, uh, the, um, I understand the satisfaction that you guys get from being, uh, from being out there and, uh, and sharing your passion with, with so many people. I truly do. And, you know, we have a, we have that weekly show going on and, and every time it's, it's the same, it's the same reward. You know, you, you share that knowledge and you share your passions with a group of unbelievably uh, interested and knowledgeable people um, who actually care about what you're saying, uh, which for me is a first. So uh, it's actually, it's actually nice to have people out there who, who actually um, find value in, 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 in what, what's going on behind the scenes in their industry and, and want to find out more about this, this amazing product, which they're enjoying on a daily basis. Some of them, others on a weekly, whatever it may be, but uh, trying to understand what's actually happening behind the scenes. And uh, thanks to you guys as well. And uh, particularly both you gentlemen here who are, you know, just going at this and making sure that, uh, that people get these segments of our industry um, you know, keep up the, the amazing work because it's, it's thanks to gentlemen such as yourselves that uh, people like us exist. People like us are able to uh, continue our work, which is uh, not only growing tobacco or manufacturing cigars or whatever it may be, but we're actually trying to get a message across. Mm. And getting across that message would be impossible if it weren't for gentlemen like yourselves who actually who actually care to capture that message and 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 bring that message from a to b and so um we and and i am eternally grateful uh matt and garrett for your work and your time and your generosity and your involvement in making all of this happen and you know tonight thanks to you people will have um i was going to say wasted an hour and a half but no to be serious <laughs> People will ha would, would will have understood, you know, what what is Marifol all about? You know, what 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 happens when I smoke a Marifol cigar? Why is it that when I smoke Marifol Cameroon, it tastes different? Why is it that when I smoke Marifol Cameroon, I have a certain type of emotion that's sparked? I have a certain uh, uh, a certain reaction in my taste buds, which is different. What's actually what's actually happening? And it's not only about the tobacco that's being grown. There's, there's, uh, there's the way you grow it, and the way you grow it is directly linked to what are you willing to sacrifice and what are you not willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. How, how, how many concessions are you willing to make, and how many concessions are you not willing to make? And when that, when that consumer is, is taking that cigar and he's lighting it up, and he's like, "Oh my goodness, you know, look, look at the ash. Look, it's, it's diamond white." And mm. my goodness, there's all these little, you know, but we call them the little, the little goosebumps. I call them the little goosebumps on the wrapper. Yeah. And you're like, why is this? Oh, that's the man. It's, it's the magnesium in the soils in the virgin rainforest. And it's this mm. insane family, which is growing out there. And it's growing this tobacco without any compromise. Like Saka says, sin, sin, sin compromiso. That's mm. it. It's yeah. going out there and making sure that we're doing things in a way that probably nobody in this industry is either crazy enough or willing or you know there's there's you know they just don't want to do it in that way but in return what do you get you get that taste yeah. you get that that characteristic where which you're not going to get anywhere else and you gentlemen have enabled an audience of consumers out there 
to actually put two and two together, to actually realize, ah, yeah, okay, I get it now. This is the reason why it's burning like this. This is the reason it's tasting like this. This is the reason because there's some insane guy with his hat and his glasses, <laughs> right? Which basically dedicates his life, um, sacrifices a majority of his life to trying to produce something which is just completely different. Yeah. And um, I hope that uh, that I hope that I was able to uh, help you get that message across. And I'm definitely very grateful for you doing so, gentlemen. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah, it's an honor. It truly is an honor to have you on and to uh, be a part of telling the story because it's important. Yes, to, to tell the stories. We're really grateful. So, Jeremiah, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we we had a fantastic hour and a half, and uh, we we look forward to talking again in the future, and hopefully. Uh, hopefully someday sitting down together and, and uh, enjoying some fine conversation and, and fine cigars. I hope that sooner than later. Yes. I wish you guys well. And remember, if you don't do it with passion, don't do it at all. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much to all our viewers and listeners. As always, if you guys have questions for us, send us an email right on the website at howaboutthatcigar.com. Follow us on social media at HBT Cigar. And until we see you guys next time, as always, burn cigars. Not bridges. <laughs>